Morning, Providence. My name is Josh Larson. I'm one of the pastors here, and it is my pleasure to bring a short sermon to you this morning, though I feel like one is almost unnecessary based on where we've been already this morning, and that's often the case, and I love it. I love it. I love when the singing and the testimony of the word and testimonies of coming to faith in Christ um, are themselves a sermon to us. They are a means of grace to us. The Spirit comes through those words and ministers to our hearts and heals the broken places, and it's just wonderful. And so I'm done. And so (laughs) that's it. You are dismissed. Go in peace. I went to a musical last night. And that's it. It has nothing to do with my sermon. It's just a confession. I went to a musical last night. It was an absolute disaster. Uh, I invited some clients uh, to come and see this musical. I will never host another musical. I think that was the issue. Everything that could go wrong went wrong. Uh, It started two hours and 20 minutes late because they had to download the right movie. They downloaded the wrong movie for us. And uh, you, I mean, there's nothing wrong with Spider-Man, but when you're showing up to see a musical, you don't want to see Spider-Man. Although Spider-Man and West Side Story are the same movie. They, they are the same movie. They happen in New York. White guy, loves a girl from another ethnicity and background. Uh, they get together. There's so much dance fighting throughout both of them. But this musical didn't go right. And it finally starts after being told several times that it's going to start. And it finally starts. And then right at the climax of the movie, right when the dance fighting is at its most intense and things are going to happen. I've never seen West Side Story, and I never will. (laughs) Right at that moment, the fire alarms go off, and we all had to leave at about 11.30 at night after waiting for two hours to see this thing. We're going to talk about peace this morning. (laughs) We are going to talk about some peace this morning. And actually, I just had to get that out of the way to just address the elephant in the theater for most of you or some of you that were there. It was an absolute nightmare. But you guys, we we had fun. We had fun sharing our crisis together. Isaiah chapter 9 Isaiah chapter 9 is about peace, and it's a lot more important than a theater crisis sort of lack of peace. This is the existential unrest that we all feel at seasons in our lives, and we've spent most of this morning already talking about that. This season, maybe more than most, is a season where people just feel a lack of peace, or can feel a lack of peace. There's a family experiencing a lack of peace right now, friends of many of ours. They used to come to Providence, the Hallorans, and Randall Halloran was just killed in a car accident this past week. Shocking, shocking news, devastating news. He and Jess have four kids And just in a moment, peace was shattered for that family and for that community. 
shattered. Some of us come from broken pasts, and the idea of family getting together, getting together for Christmas just reminds us of wounds, wounds that we have. I remember for many years when I was needing to ask my friends for rent money, uh, Christmas was stressful because I wanted to provide something special for my kids, and it was just stressful. We wanted to do it, and we did it, and we knew that it would cause stress come January when the credit card bills were due. Stress. For many years, I just, I liked aspects of Christmas, but there was stress, and there was not a lot of peace for me. Isaiah chapter 9 comes early in Isaiah's prophecies and talks about peace. The Hebrew concept of peace is the word shalom, and it's the idea of a fabric that has been ripped apart, that is being rewoven together, and now you have shalom, beauty, peace. And Isaiah, throughout the entire book of Isaiah, God is speaking to his people, and he occasionally points back to a time when there was peace. When God created mankind, he created us to live in peace with each other and in perfect peace with him. And we went our own way, and that peace was torn, ripped apart. And for all of our existence, this is, this is the reality in which we live, a peace that has been shattered, that has been torn, that has been ripped apart. And in Isaiah, over and over again, God is crying out to his people and invites them many times, come to me, come to me, and I'll reweave this torn fabric. I'll give you peace. Just come to me, and his people won't come to him. And so he exposes how miserable their lives are in this middle ground where there is no peace. And there's these false prophets claiming that they know the way to peace. And God says, don't listen to them. There is no peace. They're deceiving you. They're crying out to you, peace. And there is no peace. There's no peace. There's peace here. Come to me. Come to me and I'll give you peace. Isaiah 9, he makes this interesting promise. Unto us, he allows Isaiah to look ahead, as he did with his prophets. He allowed him to look ahead and see this coming reality. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. The weight of the world will be off of our shoulders and will be on his. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. What do we need when our, when our peace is torn? When the storms of life come, nothing tears fabric quite like a strong wind, right? Didn't we just see that recently in Denver? My family and I, a few years ago, went with, with some of you to uh, the sand dunes. Ever been to the sand dunes down in, it's in Alamosa, right, where we have just these sand dunes? And uh, we, some of us decided to go four-wheeling, and so we took off in a Jeep, and my wife and others had these little canopies set up, and they were playing down. There's a little stream that runs through the sand dunes. Kids were out playing in the stream. It's really shallow. Just a beautiful time. And I said goodbye. We took off. We come back to disaster. We got back an hour or two later, and some winds had come through, and all the canopies were like in Pueblo, 
and everything was a disaster. Things were shredded. There were tent spikes flying everywhere. It was awful. The wind destroyed the peace. I'm curious, what has destroyed your peace lately? And honestly, you do not need to feel, I'm not going to call you out. So if you're going through it, you may not want to stand and tell us all how you're going through it. But what for you, what tends to destroy your peace? I spent four years in intense anxiety, off and on and off and on, and it was miserable. And for me, it's a lack of control that destroys my peace, you know? A lack of money <laughs> destroys my peace. A lack of being able to, or actually a disbelief that God is actually my provider will destroy my peace and rip the fabric of my heart into. What is it for you? What are some things that destroy your peace? Transitions, yes, transitions destroy peace. We're uncertain, unstable, yes. Illness, yes, illness. I want to actually, I'm glad you said that. I just read this article this morning uh, in the, I believe it was the Wall Street Journal, about this new phenomenon that uh, doctors are experiencing where people are coming into them with pages of Google Documents worried sick that they have cancer, not having cancer, but actually making themselves sick with anxiety over maybe having cancer. This is a quote from that article. But the state of the art in cancer surveillance and detection, they were talking about how eventually Facebook may offer the wonderful reality of you being able to, while you're asleep, have Facebook scan all of your photos for signs of maybe loss of weight, which could be indicative of cancer. So they're just talking about how this new science that we're entering into, we are entering into the world of sickness, even if we're healthy. It's fascinating. And they said, the state of the art in cancer surveillance and detection also risks unleashing a pervasive anxiety, a state of feeling under siege from the future, as one patient describes it. A strange new term, pre-viver, not survivor, pre-viver, has emerged to designate a person who has not yet experienced an illness she is predisposed to have. For Laura M., survivorship of one breast cancer turned overnight, it seemed, to pre-vivorship of another. They're speaking there of a patient who had cancer, and her oncologist said, you don't need to do anything else. You've gone through chemotherapy they, they, and a surgery. It's been removed. You don't need to do anything else. This cancer is highly unlikely to return. And for years this patient has been coming back with stacks of Google printouts convinced that she might have cancer again and just worrying herself sick. To date, Laura M. has not suffered from a relapse of breast cancer, nor, unfortunately, has she had a new cancer anywhere in her body. <laughs> I said unfortunately. Fortunately. Her doctor is not wishing that for her. <laughs> nor, fortunately, has she had a new cancer anywhere in her body, but strange victory over her body has not spared her mind. She remains haunted by the future prospect of illness. Devastating. Complete lack of peace. The fabric has been torn. Anything else? What else tears your fabric apart? A toxic environment. Absolutely. Absolutely. Unemployment can do it. Unemployment can certainly tear the fabric of our hearts apart. Oh, politics. Yes, politics. I am ready for the government to be on his shoulders, aren't you? I'm ready. 
I'm ready. Come, Jesus. All of these things. And Isaiah here is getting at all of those things. And he is promising peace. In fact, all of these descriptors, all of these descriptors in chapter and in verse 6, wonderful counselor, that's one thing. He's going to be a, he will be a wonderful counselor, and we're going to get to that. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. All of those are building to Prince of Peace. That's what they are all building to, and we know this because of the next verse. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. So there is a peace coming, and what we need in this peace is a mighty God, perfect power. We need an everlasting father, perfect love. We need a, a wonderful counselor, perfect wisdom. And we need a prince of peace, perfect peace. That's what we need. That's what we need for peace to happen forever and for us to live in peace. We need all four of those things. So last week, we looked briefly at Mighty God and Everlasting Father. This week, we're going to look at Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace. What do we need when this is torn apart? What do we need? Well, we need a counselor. But Isaiah does not have in mind the kind of counselor that we think of most readily today. Although, that is a necessary thing for us. We need, we are pro-counselors at Providence. We are pro-counselors. I'm seeing two currently. Uh, we are pro-counselors, and some counselors have helped me in some mighty ways in my life, as I, especially in my battle with anxiety. They've, they've helped me, and we commend counseling. However, Isaiah has something bigger than that in mind when he's talking about wonderful counselor. See, what we need is not always just a counselor in today's terminology of a counselor, because counselors don't seem to have a lot of opinions. Have you noticed that if you've been to counseling? Because you go to counseling and you're like, I want them to fix this thing and I want them to give me an answer. And so you're like, so what's the answer? And the counselor's like, well, what do you think the answer is? <laughs> and you're like, violence? <laughs> and they're like, hmm, I don't, uh, maybe. I don't think that's the answer, though. Let's talk more about that, Josh. Talk more <laughs> about that. They don't have a lot of answers. They steer you toward answers. Good counselors can steer you toward an answers. But they don't just come right out and say, here's what you need. We need, when we're seeing a counselor, we need wisdom, right? That's what we need. And when our lives are torn apart, when our hearts are torn apart, we need wisdom. Don't we? Thank you. Of course, we need, we need these other things, too. We need the love of an everlasting father which was foreign to Isaiah's readers. The idea that God could be a father. He's like a father. He's like a father. But there's a lot of things that are like fathers, right? I mean, a hamster can be like a father. You can draw analogies from anything out there. But God himself, a father, everlasting father, and on this side of the cross, on this side of Jesus, we see that as love, perfect love. This is, this is huge. We need that when our peace is torn apart, right? We need perfect love. We need power. We need an almighty God whose word goes forth and makes things happen, who doesn't just guess, who actually changes our circumstances for us. We need that. But we also need a wonderful counselor. 
We need somebody to step into the frayed fabric of our lives and just talk to us. Just give us some wisdom. Help us understand it. A wonderful counselor isn't always going to just immediately reweave the fabric because sometimes that wouldn't really help us. You know this if you have kids. You know this if you don't have kids. You know this if you went to junior high. If you went to junior high, did you ever know the kid that every time anything went wrong in his life, immediately it somehow got put back together by his parents? Did you know that kid? I knew that kid. I was so annoyed by that kid. If he didn't have the right shoes that were cool, his parents could just weave that fabric and get those shoes for him, right? If he was going through a hard time, if kids were making fun of him, his parents could call a meeting with the bullies in the school and reweave that fabric for him. Whereas if I was going through a hard time and I was getting bullied, my dad would say, pay attention to your grades. <laughs> Obey your teachers and they won't get, you won't get bullied. My dad would call meetings with my teachers if my grades went south, but he never called meetings with the bullies. <laughs> but you know these kids, right? You know these people where when things go wrong, immediately it gets fixed. Immediately it gets fixed for them. But sometimes that's not always best, right? Sometimes it's not always best. As we look at our lives, some of the most, uh, some of the deepest seasons of growth for me have been in this state, in the longing and in the tension when things are ripped apart, when the wonderful counselor steps in and says, Josh, I've been here. I've been in this place. I've been ripped apart like this, and I know that it hurts. And he spends time ministering to why it's hurting me and going deep into my heart and searching out why I'm feeling what I'm feeling. And then slowly, he starts mending things back together. That's a wonderful counselor. That's what we need. We need a counselor who can come in and help us understand our suffering. We think we need a counselor who can come in and magically make our suffering go away, but that's not what we need. We don't need a quick fix. We need a counselor who can come in and make sense of our suffering and turn something beautiful out of the brokenness. That's what we need. And that's what this is. This is a wonderful counselor. This is not a counselor who just has some, some guesses to throw at you. And this is not a counselor who's just going to come in and overnight, perhaps, overnight, make it all better for you. This is a counselor who's going to come into your pain and your suffering and sit with you and be there with you, and bear it for you. That's who this wonderful counselor is. But we also need a prince of peace. We, our hearts long for peace. I don't, it does not matter who you are in this room in relationship to God. If you are a believer in God or if you are not a believer in God, we all long for the same thing as humans. We actually all long for the same thing. And those of us who are Christians say that longing was put into our hearts by a God who created us for a world of peace. But even if you're not a Christian, you know as you look at your life. You heard it from Angel as he was looking at the last 40, I'm 42 too, so. He was looking at the last 42 years of his life. What he said as he looks forward, did you catch the word that he said? Peace. I want peace. This is what we all long for, and this is what we need. And Isaiah knows this is what we need, and God knows this is what we need. And he's saying to a torn society here in Isaiah, I will send you peace. And not just ethereal peace, but a person, a person 
You see, in Jesus, we don't just have somebody who is powerful. We have an almighty God who is power itself. We don't just have somebody who loves us. We have an everlasting father who he says in John, he says, I will not, or actually I think it's in Mark, I will not leave you as orphans. That's our everlasting father speaking, Jesus, saying, I will make you not orphans anymore. That's what a loving father does. He's not just, he doesn't just love us. He doesn't just think warm thoughts about us. He is himself, love. We don't, he's not just a wise counselor. That's not what this says. This doesn't say, I'm sending you a wise counselor. I'm sending you a wonderful counselor. What makes him wonderful? Jesus is wisdom itself, Corinthians says. He has become our wisdom in God. And he's not just a peaceful person. He's not just a monk in the wilderness at peace and quiet thinking about God. He, his very presence and nature, is peace. He is the most put together, woven together person in the universe. He is peace. And that's who we need when our lives are ripped apart. That's who we need. There's a picture that I want to look at of this really briefly. It's Jonah. And for time, I'm just going to summarize this story. In Jonah, we see actually all four of these elements at play in another prophet, the story of Jonah. We see the almighty God, the God who is power. We see the everlasting father, the one who is love. We see the, good, the wonderful counselor who has wisdom. And we see the prince of peace at work here. So in Jonah chapter 1, God says, go to Nineveh, to Jonah. Jonah is a prophet, and God says, go to Nineveh and tell them to repent because I love them and I want to restore them. He doesn't say those words, but Jonah says it later. He says, I knew that's what you wanted to do with these people. And Jonah did not want that to happen to Nineveh because Nineveh was a wicked place. Jonah was much more comfortable judging and condemning Nineveh than walking into Nineveh and bringing the shalom of God to them. They didn't deserve it in Jonah's mind. So Jonah says, no to God, I'm not going to Nineveh, I'm going to run. And he runs. Well, he floats. He gets in a boat, and he goes to Joppa. And so right in the middle of the story, it says in verse 4, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. It is not peaceful. It is the destruction of peace, a great wind ripping the fabric of Jonah's life. There was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they just started hurling off cargo to try to keep the boat afloat. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. Did you know there is a false peace available to you? We all know this, don't we? This is not true peace. This is denial. This is detachment from your surroundings. This is, you can deceive yourself into peace and not be at peace. That's what God was saying when he says, don't listen to the prophets who are telling you there's peace. There is no peace. Jonah thinks there's peace. He's asleep. He's in denial. You know who's not in denial? The people who don't believe in God. They're like, this is a disaster and we want peace. So they come down to Jonah in the bottom of the ship and they say, what are you doing? Literally, what do you mean, you sleeper? How are you sleeping? Wake up. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And so if you know the story, you know Jonah does get up and he said, he looks around and he's like, oh man, okay, this is me. This is me. 
I did this. We had nobody at the theater last night doing that, by the way. We had nobody saying, this is me. Jonah did it. Jonah stepped up and said, this is me. All you have to do, this is, this is what my God is doing. This, is, this storm is from the God who created everything. And it says, at his words, these mariners were terrified, which is really interesting. They had been offering sacrifices and panicked prayers to their gods. And they hear about the God who created everything, including the storm, and they're terrified. And Jonah says, the only way to make this stop is to throw me overboard because I've been disobedient. That's, that's what's happening. And they resist, and finally they're like, okay, this is not getting better, and they throw him overboard. Now, in that story, you have all of these things going on. You have the storm, except for peace. You don't have peace. But you have this mighty God who causes this storm to come up out of seemingly nowhere. You have uh, the everlasting Father. You actually see love because in the next, at the end of this chapter, verse end of the first chapter of the book of Jonah, verse 17, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, that doesn't sound loving. If I said to my kids, I am going to send a wild animal to devour you, their first thought would not be, my dad loves me. That doesn't sound loving. But what God did here is spare Jonah's life. And the way that we know that all of these things were at play in this storm, when Jonah's peace was actually ripped apart, how do we know that all of these things were at play? Well, look at the way Jonah talks about God. Jonah, the short version of the story, he does go to Nineveh. He says eight words, and the entire city repents. Because God had already been working, and God was already calling this nation to repentance. And all Jonah had to do was obey. God didn't need Jonah. God was allowing Jonah to see who he is. And Jonah hated it and resented God for it. And so God comes to Jonah in chapter 4 and says, Why are you so angry that these people have been rescued? And Jonah says, Lord, is this not what I said when I was in my own country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, because you're all of those things, it's better for me to die, so take my life. In Jonah's twisted logic, you see who God is. And Jonah saw it. Jonah looked back and saw it and saw God in the storm and saw God in the great fish that swallowed him and saw God loving a nation that hated God. Jonah saw all of these things at play. The mighty God, the everlasting Father, the wonderful counselor whose word. Do we, you want to know how we know that God is a wonderful counselor? This is in later on in Isaiah. This is how God describes himself later in Isaiah, chapter 46. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. This is what sets him apart declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purposes. I have two really good counselors that I'm seeing. They're both men in their 70s and they've seen a lot. But you know what they've never said to me? My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purposes. There is no counselor on earth, at least not any good one, that will say that to you. No one's counsel will stand. 
Your counsel, your words will not stand for all time. In fact, if God is gracious, most of my words will probably be forgotten. God alone is the God, is the counselor whose counsel stands, who actually makes the things that he says to you happen. So when he calls Jonah to some obedience and Jonah wasn't, doesn't do it, God still makes it happen and makes Jonah go obey and do what he told him to do. God's counsel stands. His purposes for you in your life have never been thwarted. Even when this is happening, God's counsel stands. And he rushes in to meet you in that place. One last picture and we'll close. Two last pictures and we'll close. This comes from Mark. The story of Mark. Uh, or Mark's gospel, chapter 4. There's another Jonah. Jesus actually takes the story of Jonah and says, just like Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days, I'm going to be in the belly of the earth for three days. Jonah links himself, or Jesus links himself to Jonah and says, Jonah's whole story is really a picture of me. If you read the story of Jonah and you don't see me, you've missed the point of the story of Jonah. And we actually see this play out, an identical, almost identical story. Mark chapter 4, on that day when evening had come, he said to them, this is verse 35, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him in a boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him, and a great windstorm arose out of nowhere. And the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling, but he was in the stern asleep on the cushion. You know what that is? True peace. That's the prince of peace in a storm asleep. Why? Is he sleeping? Well, this isn't happening for Jesus in that moment. This is, he's right here in the midst of the storm. It's not because of his circumstances. He is in a real storm. People are throwing things off of the boat. If you've ever been on a boat and you're looking around and seeing people throwing things into the water, you know there's a problem. The storm is real. This is a real storm, and people are terrified. So it's not because of a lack of painful, terrifying circumstances. The circumstances are doing this, but somehow in the midst of this, Jesus is right here, fast asleep. His disciples come to him, just like the mariners with Jonah. They woke him up and said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and didn't say, Throw me overboard. He rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still, and the wind ceased and there was great calm and he said why are you so afraid have you no faith why are you allowing circumstances to do this to your hearts why are you afraid why are you afraid now it is important to know that Jesus is not condemning his disciples for a lack of faith He's actually in this moment, if they will receive it, being a wonderful counselor to them. He is. He's walking into their chaos and terror as a completely non-anxious presence and saying, let's look at why you're afraid. What is your fear right now as we're like doing this? What is your fear telling you? <laughs> what is your fear telling you about your faith in God in this moment? Peter, Peter, listen, listen, look. What is, what is this moment telling you about your faith? This is what our wonderful counselor does when we have no peace. He doesn't always throw a Band-Aid on it and make the terrible circumstance go away. First, he enters in 
and ministers to us in that moment and speaks to us tenderly like the everlasting Father. He speaks to us and ministers peace in the midst of chaos. Do you see it? And then he says, okay, peace be still. And the same God who brought the storm for Jonah stopped the storm for his disciples. Stopped it. And they were at peace. Until the next storm. Until the next scary instance. So, this morning, Providence, all I want to leave you with, yikes, all I want to leave you with is this image of Jesus as your wonderful counselor entering into whatever it is that's making your heart do this right now. Whatever it is, you can find Jesus here. In fact, Jesus will seek you out here. You know why? Because he's a good shepherd. He will leave the 99 of us who stood when Jay did his exercise and said we're thriving. He'll leave us and come and find you. He'll come and enter into your brokenness. And he'll call Patty with him. And Patty will come and say, hey, hey, let's talk about this. Let's, what is this telling you? What is this telling you? This is who he is. He's a wonderful counselor. And he is peace itself. How did he get there? Well, he got there by going through the storm. He got there by going through the storm. In the garden, Jesus was ripped apart. It wasn't on the cross. Actually, on the cross, Jesus seems to be at peace. Through intense pain, he actually, if you look at him on the cross, you see this happening in the midst of this. But it's in the garden where you see this in the life of Jesus, where you see the Prince of Peace himself with no peace. He's praying in the garden, and he goes back to his disciples who are not praying with him. So he's alone, both spiritually and physically alone. And he goes to his disciples, and he says, I am terrified. I am anxious to the point of death. I need you to pray with me. Anxious to the point of death is this. He feels it. He experiences it. It makes him sweat drops of blood. I've been anxious, but I've never sweat drops of blood. That means that Jesus drank the cup of anxiety all the way to the bottom to a degree that none of us ever have. So he knows what you're feeling. He knows it. He knows it. And so that makes him a wonderful counselor. That's what Hebrews says. We have a merciful, faithful high priest who can enter into our brokenness, not with judgment and condemnation, saying, why aren't you sleeping through this storm? Do you have no faith? But as somebody who has been ripped apart and can say, look, I know, I know I've felt it. It's awful. It is awful. But how did he get from here to here on the cross of all places? Well, it's because he knew. He knew that God's counsel stands. And so he could say to his father, I'm being ripped apart and I want this to be put back together. But whatever you're doing in this space, I trust you. And the text says he got up from there and went to be betrayed. In the midst of this, God did not say, okay, Jesus, you have asked to avoid this suffering that you're about to endure. Let's weave this back together so that you can avoid it. No, no. God said, no, you are going to drink this cup, but I will be for you peace, peace in the midst of the storm. 
So even as you're physically being torn apart, you can trust your Father in heaven. You can trust his will. And that's what we see Jesus praying. Lord, I want this to happen, but not my will, yours be done. So if it's your will for me to to stay here, I will stay here. And he gets up and he goes to the cross for the joy that was set before him. What's the joy that was set before him? It's this exact thing that Isaiah is talking about in Isaiah chapter 9. It is his coming kingdom. He was able to look ahead through the pain of the cross and see his exaltation, see resurrection. Hebrews actually says in that moment, Jesus cried out to the one who was able to deliver him from death, and he was heard. That doesn't make a lot of sense. How was he heard? He died. He was heard, and his father responded, not by delivering him from death, but by showing him the resurrection that was coming and raising him from the dead. And that is how our wonderful counselor helps us through our suffering. It's not always an immediate reweaving of our peace. It is peace himself, Jesus, coming to us in the midst of it and saying, listen, listen, I will hold you together. I will hold you together. In me, you live and move and have your being. In me, in me, the psalmist said, God, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are stayed on you. You'll keep them in peace. You'll keep them in shalom, even when the world is doing this. So this morning, I'm going to pray for you. And I don't know where you're at. If you're flourishing, I am actually, I felt kind of guilty standing up. I don't know if you did, Patty, but I felt kind of guilty standing up saying I'm thriving because I haven't always been here, and I don't want you to think that this is my always normal reality. I'm not always thriving, but I am in a season of spiritual joy and flourishing in the gospel. I am. And so if you're here, if you're here, the New Testament says if you're here, peace is this reconciling of people to God and people to each other. So those of you that are flourishing are called to go to the people who aren't and be the presence of Jesus to them in the midst of this. So my prayer for you, if you're thriving, is that that's what you would be called to do, that you would find yourself, feel yourself called by the Spirit of God to go minister peace to your brothers and sisters who are broken. And those of you who are ripped apart, I am just going to pray for you this morning that the mighty counselor himself would show up and meet you in this place and that he'd help you get your mind fixed on him and that he would restore the shalom that he wants for you in the midst of chaos and pain. Let's pray. Oh, Father, you have been so good to us. You sent us this son, this child. You sent him, our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, an everlasting father to the orphan. You've sent us our Prince of Peace. May we come this morning and adore him. Because as we adore him, we are formed by him. Father, for those of your sons and your daughters this morning, who are walking close with you and are feeling your kindness and your love and your presence, may you lead them to the sheep who are hurting and may they minister peace. May their very presence as they just sit with the hurting and the grieving, 
May they bring with them the presence of Jesus, who is well acquainted with grief, a man of sorrows. And Father, to my brothers and sisters this morning who are ripped apart, may you send the wonderful counselor to them, who doesn't just have some good opinions, but who says words of healing, and healing happens. And God, may you restore peace to their frayed lives. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.